This is Dan Eaton, a reporter here at Columbus Business First. We often talk about craft brewing in terms of sales and sites. It's growing. New beer here, a new brewery there. It's a fun and freewheeling business. Indeed, that's part of the appeal. But there's a flip side to that looseness, one keenly seen and felt by the women who work in this industry. Sometimes it is pink-tinted pandering. Sometimes it's an outright offensive label or beer name. There could be off-color comments or unwanted approaches. So while craft brewing is growing, it's also growing up as brewers move away from immature marketing and as women in the industry have greater willingness to speak out against harassment-related issues. With that in mind, Columbus Business First assembled a panel of five women from the local craft brewing scene. Mary McDonald, Executive Director of the Ohio Craft Brewers Association, Gwen Carmack, CFO of Columbus Brewing, Tamar Banner, Production Manager of BrewDog USA, Kelsey Steve, Head of Marketing at North High Brewing, and Jenna DeSico, Sales Rep at Wolf's Ridge Brewing. We invited them in to discuss the issues they've faced, the improvements they've seen, and the work still to be done. This is that discussion in full. Thanks for listening. Jenna, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this industry. Thanks. So I came from a completely different field of work. Um, so I've, I've just been in the industry for about three and a half years. Um, I was working in higher education a couple of years ago, and I think I was looking for a new challenge. I had been working in kind of the same functional area of education for a number of years, if it goes back to my time as an undergrad student, and I wanted a new challenge. I wanted a more flexible, creative space where I could be myself, and it's more casual, it's more based on relationships, and I saw that in craft beer. Um, I was a fan of craft beer, and I loved going to all the local breweries at the time. It, It just kind of seemed like a hobby to me. Um, and then I did have a little side gig with Columbus Brew Adventures. I was a tour guide for them just like one Saturday a month. And I realized, you know, there are days I enjoy my one Saturday a month giving these tours, going into breweries, telling the history of the area to the guests on the tours. I realized I enjoyed that one day of the month more than most days at my full-time job. So I thought maybe it's time to switch it up. And I applied for my current position at Wolf's Ridge Brewing at a time when we were young and looking to grow really quickly. And I think I was lucky that I was able to get my foot in the door without any experience and learn from the ground up. So that's how I initially got into it. Yeah. What? Uh, tell us about your role now. So I'm a sales representative mm-hmm. with Wolf's Ridge Brewing. So I sell our beer externally to bars, restaurants, bottle shops, grocery stores. Kelsey? So my story is a little different. I uh, worked at Heartland Bank, um, who actually financed uh, North High's first loan. So I got to be in the room when they did the signing. Um, I opened all their accounts, and then I became a regular at the bar. And in 2015, the end of 2015, they were looking for a brand manager. And they called me, and they were like, hey, we're looking for a brand manager. Your name came to the top of the list. Are you interested? Banking, beer. Banking, (laughs) beer. Okay, I guess I'll go work in beer. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I don't even think they really knew what I should have been doing. So we just kind of created the role from the ground up, and I'll be there four years in January. Tomorrow. So my story is probably the closest to your two guys sitting yeah. on a couch story. <laughs> um, I was in college. I was a home brewer, and I had a, I had a, was about to finish with a degree in linguistic anthropology, knowing there was nothing I was going to do with that, practically speaking, <laughs> but go to grad school. And I had a friend who wanted to open a beer bar in Jerusalem, and he said to me that um, I was probably his best bet. I speak Hebrew, some Arabic have um, worked in bars, and I knew a lot about beer, I was the best person to go out there and be his person on the ground. So I picked up and moved to Israel right after I graduated college and quickly realized it was not going to work. It wasn't going to be profitable for like five years. (laughs) And anyone who's run a business knows that that is not, that's way too long. And so we decided that I would learn about the beer industry in the meantime, give the Israeli beer market a minute to catch up to us, to our idea. And I came back to the U.S. because I could learn more from the U.S. beer market than the Israeli one. But I figured I would work largely in sales and distribution, importing maybe. And the last thing I thought I would get to work in is production. But as a home brewer, that was what I was secretly hoping to find a, a part-time job in. And it was the first role that I got was production. Um, I, uh, Harpoon Brewery in Boston, Massachusetts took a chance on me, even though I had zero experience. I called them to work on the bottling line, figuring I could work my way up from the bottling line to, um, to brewing. 
And they said, um, well, you're going to need a degree. We ask everyone who works on the bottom line to have a degree. I said, no problem. I have a you know, bachelor's from Yale. And they said, oh, we meant a high school degree. You're going to be way bored. <laughs> And I said, okay, well, um, in that case, you know, all I'm doing is I want to prove to you that I could be a brewer and that I'm a hard worker and that I'm interested in craft beer. And they said, well, but let's skip the bottling part. Let's just train you to be a brewer. And so this is kind of when a lot of breweries did, there weren't a lot of educational programs for, um, for beer. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for them to take people straight out of a brewing school. And so training someone on the job was what was done then. So I started there in January of 2001. I'm getting close to 20 years in the industry now. And I'm the production manager at BrewDog Brewery, where I've been for the last year and a half. How did you, how did you end up at BrewDog? I was working um, at New Belgium in Fort Collins, Colorado. At the time, I was, um, I was growing at New Belgium, but I wasn't finding the, the career path that gave me um, a wide variety of knowledge. I was getting more and more and more specialized. And when I saw this role come up, it would never have occurred to me to move to Columbus, Ohio, except for that I knew about BrewDog, and I really admired the company. And it was an opportunity to, get a part, to be a part of a global company, which is really exciting to me. So I get to collaborate now with people in Scotland and pretty soon Australia, and that was really what I wanted with my career. Our, our friend Sarah... Uh, said that you had a very interesting backstory. I didn't realize it was that <laughs> interesting. Do you, do you like our mountains better than Colorado? <laughs> I mean, I live at like 20 feet elevation. <laughs> Mary. Uh, I was the director of marketing at the North Market, and we had this really successful Ohio Wine Festival, and my boss, Dave Weibel, looked across the parking lot and saw Barley's and was like, I wonder if we could do this with craft beer. And so there were a hall of six breweries in Columbus at the time, and one of my former interns from another job uh, had done some work with Columbus Brewing Company and said, well, I can get you in front of Eric Bean. So got introduced to Eric Bean, uh, founder of Columbus Brewing Company, and convinced him that we should try to do this microbrew festival, because the, the terminology at the time was microbrew, we weren't craft beer yet. And so uh, we convinced all six of the breweries in Columbus to do a microbrew festival on the second floor of the North Market, and from the get-go, it was packed and crazy, and every year since then, we would add another couple breweries, and by the time I was leaving in 2013, we had like 15 breweries participating from all around Ohio, including Great Lakes, and Mad Tree just opened. As Eric Bean, we, then he did, Columbus Brewing Company developed a good relationship with the North Market and did all sorts of events with us. Eric Bean became president of the, of the Ohio Craft Brewers Association with this idea that was also being pushed down by the National Brewers Association that every guild in the states needed their own executive director or someone responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of the guilds because that was the best way to get things done. Um, the guild had been operating since late 2007, early 2008, but was all sort of part-time on behalf of board members, getting things done, not getting things done. We had one event and we fended off some bad legislation that would have harmed the organization every now and again. <clears throat> so uh, Eric Bean said, hey, you know some stuff about nonprofit organizations, let's talk about this job. And we did talk about that job and then here I am, <laughs> six <laughs> plus years later. <laughs> Gwen, your turn. So I'm gonna have to contradict Mary on one thing that Eric is not the founder of Columbus Brewing Company right. because that's part of my backstory. I have been an accountant my whole professional life, and I was working for the Edwards Companies in the Brewery District, who at the time owned Columbus Brewing Company. And part of my job, um, along with, with working with all the companies that they own, was to do the books for Columbus Brewing Company, and I became the secretary treasurer of the company. And, and at that time, it wasn't it, it wasn't selling a, a lot. And then Eric came on board, and for like five years, he was a partial, a minority owner of the company. So my job was still to do the books. In 2011, he bought basically the rest of the company, so, but he still needed someone to do the books because he wasn't going to do it. <laughs> so, so for a while, I, I did that on the side. And then in 2013, um, Columbus Brewing Company was ex expanding quite a bit. And so he needed more than just my little side gig. And I was ready to make a change. So again, here I am. And Mary and I started, um, so I've been with the company for over 20 years. 
but full time, Mary and I have the same start date. So every year we have our little like, anniversary of of being in the craft beer. I also misspoke in that he's not like he's a co-owner with his wife Bethy. Sure. So. Yes. Of course. What was it like when you started your current jobs in terms of? You know, I guess what was the, the the makeup? Was it was it difficult? Frankly, I mean, I think we're, I think we'll build to a point where we're, we're maybe a little more enlightened now. But but what was it like in those early days as a woman in an industry that's pretty dominated by men? I went to my first crafters conference in 2014, and I went to the first Pink Boots Society meeting. It wasn't the first Pink Boots, mm-hmm. but it was my first Pink Boots Society meeting, and we fit. There were probably a hundred of us in a small room um, at the convention center. I went last year to the Pink Boot Society meeting, and there were probably 500, 600 of us. So it's grown exponentially, um, both through organizations like Pink Boots and just greater awareness of opportunities in the brewing industry, and then just you know, organically, too. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for the efforts being done in the STEM fields. Mm-hmm. Um, that's drawn a lot more women to many different scientific fields, brewing being just one of them. Um, it seems a lot more normal for women to consider this as a career path I got into this before it was a career path at all, you know, men or women, and so it um, didn't seem weird to me. I did notice that I was the only woman in the room, both at work and at, I was involved with the Master Brewers Association in New England, and there, the the only funny story I have is that someone, because I was was so young and looked so young at the time, people would assume that I was some guy from Anheuser-Busch's daughter. Um, I got that question a lot. I think what was really nice is that people were always respectful to me and always gave me a chance to speak. And as soon as I opened my mouth, they understood that I knew as much about them and I was as passionate as them. And so as soon as that happened, the joke of, you know, whose daughter are you went away and, you know, we were, we were equals very quickly. I wish mine had been that easy. I work with all men, and they were always very good about, here's how you fix a draft line, here's how you set up a jockey box, here's how to check the CO2. Because when I would have an account that would have an issue... I would show up to fix it, and they'd be like, oh, we figured a guy was coming. And I was like, no, I can do the same thing. Like, I'm well-trained to do, you know. And I don't think they necessarily believed me until I got the job done. And I'm like, here you go, you're all set. And they're like, oh, okay. My One of my sales reps' girlfriends makes a joke that it's the it's the scene in Pretty Woman where Julia Roberts comes back to the, the boutique the next day and she's like, you work on commission, don't you? And she's like, big mistake, huge. <laughs> and she's like, I see that every time I see you like step out of the draft truck or like hauling a keg around. Like I think that people are still, it gets a little bit easier now, but I think people are still surprised when like a female shows up. Like I have your delivery. How about you, Jenna? Yeah, I think a a combination of what everyone has said so far. I definitely see the numbers growing, like Mary said. Um, When I started, I was the only woman at the table when I went to meetings with my own team. Now we have a few more, which certainly helps, but it hasn't solved all the issues we face. Similar to what Kelsey said, I mean, when I started as a sales rep, I think I was met with different reactions when I'd go in to make a sale. And I think part of that was... I look like I'm 20 years old and I'm in my 30s now. So I think I still have to like get past that in addition to being a woman doing this job. Well, and I think we're very fortunate. You and I started around the same yeah. time. So we kind of have grown up, I guess, in the industry together. And I would say that we do have a definite support system um, with all the females, not only in the Columbus industry, but throughout the state that, you know, we, we also do help each other out as well, which is nice. So Thank you, Kelsey. That <laughs> reminds me what else I was going to say. Like, I definitely, when I was new to the industry and didn't have any connections, which being a sales representative, you need those connections to sell your product. It's friendships that sell your beer more so than the product itself often. And so I tried to make friends with every sales rep that I encountered out in the field. And it always came a little more naturally with the other women reps um, because there was maybe on average, don't quote me on this, but maybe there was like one per company if that company was lucky, I think, in my opinion. But now, like I was reflecting on this really recently, most of the women sales reps that I looked up to when I was new have since moved on to different industries or selling a product that is not beer. Um, except Kelsey here next to me. I think I was thinking about that, preparing for this today. Like, you, you are one of the other ones that's been in it longer than me that's still in your role or a similar role. Um, so I can't help but wonder what that's about. When we talked to, to 
all the different industries, especially Columbus companies, they talk about how diversity everywhere from top to bottom helps their products get better, helps their customer service get better, helps the culture within their companies get better. In craft brewing, what has diversity and increased diversity done for the industry and for the breweries that you work for? Have you noticed a change as it becomes more diverse? I would say that as craft beer has really tried to gain gain market share, one of the things that has really helped is gaining sort of legitimacy, going from being, you know, girls in bikinis to, you know, about flavors and about food food and beer pairing, things like that. And having women in all aspects of the business kind of cleans it up a little bit. Um, You know, people are more respectful. They don't need to make jokes. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that, but um, but, but that can. doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, on the on the brewing floor as much when there's a woman standing right next to you. You want to be respectful of your coworker, and I think that has helped drive the beer industry, or the craft beer industry specifically, to more legitimacy and to gaining that market share with the customers. And I think we see when there is a, a questionable label or beer name, there's an immediate backlash to it too that mm-hmm. didn't exist before. So yeah, the marketing has changed dramatically. You still see some labels that you wonder what are they thinking or how they got away with it or how they got <laughs> yeah. Away with it. yeah explain uh, that a little bit how how that's changed and how how there still is some questions out there i know that when when we are introducing a new beer and thinking of a name we're we're just hashing out every possible backlash that there might be or there's there's no way we can say that and and then and because you you need to you know these things need to get approved at the state and the federal level but yet you do still see some i mean even just the past week i've i've seen some that and and people in the industry and even consumers are saying what on earth are you thinking why would you do this do you, do you think that those companies that are putting those out just don't have women working there that would say something or they're just tone deaf when uh, they're... I was going to ask, how much how much of it is do you think is just not being aware and how much of it is just like, we are aware and we don't care? Well, Brewdog know? has a pretty interesting perspective on this, yeah. particularly with some things that happened with our company in Scotland mm-hmm. in the last year. I think Brewdog tries to disrupt the industry mm-hmm. and that was the approach they took when they took off in Europe and really tried to change the way that people drank beer and looked at beer there. And it's hard to disrupt and be a punk and also be legitimate and you know respectful and mainstream. And so riding that fine line, sometimes you get it wrong. And so they came out with a, an, a campaign called Beer Porn that really missed the mark. And as soon as it came out, everyone, and you know we didn't even know about it in the US mm-hmm. until it came out, um, everyone you know pointed out how misguided it was, but it was an oversight, I think. Um, but also, you know, that ha- you have to get people's attention, and I think that's where people tend to go when they try to go in that direction, and they just miss the mark. And I, I think your question about um, maybe there are women at the table, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think that could be true. I think I admit it took me a good year and a half, two years in my role before I felt comfortable and empowered to stand up to these sort of things. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, I realize like there are certain ways I have to fit into the mold of the male-dominated industry in order to succeed or in order to have my ideas heard and considered. And so maybe there are women at the table that don't know they can stand up to that, don't know how to stand up to that, or they are standing up to that and not being listened to. You know, what are some of those ways that you said that you've learned how to uh, sort of be better, better heard? In, in this industry, what, what sort of advice do you have? Uh, I, to, I tell someone else. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's I think it's it's subconscious. I don't think that people realize they're doing it. But mm-hmm. I'll say something and like it'll get brushed aside. But then I know, like I'll go tell someone else, and I'll be like, "Hey, go tell so and so, like this is your idea." And they'll be like, "That's a great idea," and I'm like, "That's fine, run with it." I don't as long as it gets through. Like it's irritating, but. I was having this conversation with one of my good male friends, and they're like, I don't think people do it on purpose. Like, I think it's just a subconscious, like, in the back of their mind, they don't realize that they're not paying attention to you. But he's like, it's definitely because you're female. I will echo what Kelsey just said a million percent. <laughs> um, I, I think back to how many meetings I've sat through where I'll bring up an idea as a statement, like, we should do this this is what we should do, or like, how, what about this? And it's often like not really 
digest it. We might move on really quickly from that, but then it comes up a few months later in a meeting by someone else who said it, and that's when it becomes something we're, we're doing. So I, I've also realized that, so one thing I did as an educator in my past life is that you don't give students the answers. You ask the question so they can get to the answer on their own. That's how they learn and that's how they remember. And I realize I've been doing that in meetings when I'm surrounded by men. Uh, I would ask a question like, well, this certain holiday is coming up. What should we do about that with our product or our events? And hopefully the, the conversation, like I plant the seeds to then get them to that conclusion so it's then seen as their idea and that's when action sparks. And so I think back to what Kelsey said, like that's a, we're doing the same thing, just kind of different routes. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't always need the credit as long as we're getting to the goal. Um, so I've had to give up that piece of, I guess, my, my career. And I have to own that I was one of the women at the table that wasn't speaking up for a long time. I had a male mentor who pointed it out to me. He said, look, I know that you pride yourself on being one of the guys, and you, you're tough, and you are macho, and you like to you know, get, you know, be part of the jokes, too. But think about the next woman that comes after you. And it was a real wake-up call for me. And I actually, the next woman who worked for me was also tough and macho and was doing the exact same thing, and I passed it along to her. And um, at, when I was at New Belgium, we hired three women, and it was a really good thing because this one woman who I had started with would have taken it fine and would have you know, been part of the joke, but as soon as she and I started to speak up, we made it a comfortable place for the other women that, that followed who weren't comfortable with that, and I'm really glad they weren't because it really changed the dynamic and made it a better thing. I, you know, I regret those early days. I think that's a really great point and it's something that I will take to heart myself because I am someone who I'm old enough that I've also been in other industries like when I was in college I worked at a paint store and I had I had a woman come in to buy paint and I was trying to help her and she said oh no I want to talk to one of the guys and I was just floored by this and and I also probably went in the back and cried about it so that didn't really help but that's been you know 30 years ago so I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm much more confident in myself and I'm also on the executive level at Columbus Brewing so I can and I can also I can take the jokes and I I, I can just let it brush by and just roll my eyes and oh there they go again. But you're so right, like for the next person that comes along and and we are we have been hiring more women and we we currently don't have any on the production side, but we will. I mean, it's going to happen and I want it to happen and I want those women to also feel empowered and not like they can't say anything. This brings up a memory I have of, I think I saw a, like a one frame like comic strip or like a cartoon meme shared on social media recently that had a drawing of two people sitting at like office computers and one of them asked the other person, what's the difference between assertive and aggressive? And the other person answered, gender. And I think that's something I related to so much when I saw that come across my Facebook feed or whatever feed it was. And back to what Tamar said, I. I definitely have moments where I have to be that protect or try to be macho or, or mainly like I'm trying to be assertive or aggressive, however you want to describe it. Um, I have to be comfortable being interrupted in every meeting that I'm a part of, and then I have to then interrupt others if I want to be heard, which is not my natural instinct. So it's kind of mirroring those masculine or what's seen as masculine behaviors by some. What this is probably a little more for for Jenna and, and Kelsey. What's it like going out on to? It's one thing within the walls of a brewery where where these are usually smaller businesses, and and I would imagine that maybe adapting or, or being a little more enlightened maybe maybe comes a little faster. Correct me if I'm wrong, but because you got a small group, you're working close together, and if things are uncomfortable, then you know hopefully they. Uh, get better. But when you're going out into the world to bars, restaurants, what's that like? And has that changed over, over the years as, as maybe places are seeing more, um, you know, female reps? 
So I, since I've worked in the industry for almost four years, I know most of the buyers at this point. Um, but I remember, I think it might have been year two that we did, I did have an incident and an event. And I remember I was telling my friend Carrie about it the next day. And she's like, either you tell Jason, who's our brewmaster, or I'm going to tell Jason what happened. But she's like, it, he's going to be mad if it doesn't come from you. And so I remember telling him the situation. And he was like, he's like, this, it hurts me that I have to have this conversation with you. He's like, but no account, no beer sale, no amount of money is worth like you being uncomfortable. Get out of there, call an Uber, call me, whatever. But I think for the most part, I... I think one, I, I feel like I'm a pretty strong person and I have a very strong personality. And so I think I kind of walk in and not necessarily assert myself, but I'm like, I'm here. I sell beer. I know what the hell I'm talking about. Like, you know, we're all friends. We can do business. And I unfortunately have not had as like many instances. And at this point you kind of walk in, you walk back to the office, you sit down, you have a conversation. How's the kid? How's life going on vacation next week? oh, by the way, you want to buy some beer this week. But I will say it's definitely, it definitely comes with a level of comfort and it definitely comes with years in the industry. And, you know, back to what Tamara and Gwen said, I, you know, that's, I never thought about what you, you know, being one of the guys, but you also need to stand up as a female. And I think that's why it's so helpful that, you know, you and I are friends or we kind of work together um, in the industry. It just makes it a little bit easier. I agree with Kelsey. I, I have been very fortunate that nothing horrible has happened. Um, definitely I see incidences of bias or you're flirting with me or things like that, that yeah, it kind of puts a damper on that hour or that day. Um, but like Kelsey said, like you have to go into that sales call very determined and very assertive and very direct and get to the point. Otherwise they might I don't know, I, I feel like some accounts, when I was newer at this role, looked at me like I was a little girl. And so I had to tailor my clothing, my body language, my um, verbal language to fight that image. I think if you start with the stigma that like, I know what I'm doing, I'm, you know, I'm a strong female, like you're not gonna mess with me. I don't think you have those issues as as more as all, I, I manage a sales team now they're all men mm -hmm. I, and not because we haven't hired women or have hired women that's just who fit the role the best and they sell just as much beer as I did when I was on the streets and you know they don't need to mm -hmm. use their sexuality so I think you need like I think that needs to be the understanding that if you go out there and you're like I don't need to flirt to sell this beer then they won't try to flirt back with you to get the beer sale can I ask them a question? Because sure. this, is, this is really fascinating, and it, it does actually really solve some things for me in terms of women I know who have had issues versus who haven't. It may be, um, you know, those of us who are inside and it's more of a science role and those who are outside and it's more of a sales role, is alcohol being involved a factor? Like are events or places where people are drinking, does that compound the issue? Can you be? Can you be more specific or like? Elaborate? So like, um, and I'm sorry if I'm hijacking. No, no, this off. is this is what we want. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm really interested. Like to I hear, said, the less we talk, the better. You know, if there's a difference between a, a sales call at one in the afternoon versus something that's in the evening at a bar, with how um, people might behave if they have been drinking. Well, Kelsey's incident happened at an event, right? Yep. So yeah, ab absolutely, it absolutely happens, and and it's it's one of those things where you need to know your limit working in this industry because alcohol is involved on such a regular basis. And if you, you know, when you've reached your point of you don't have control anymore, and, and I think it's not so much with people in the industry as people maybe attending the event. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's where the issues mainly occur because they go, you know, it's craft beer. So it's 7% alcohol and you have four or five IPAs and then, you know, you're, you're not all with it anymore. And so I always, if, if you ever see me at an event, I always have a glass of water in one hand and a beer in another because I don't, I want to still know what's going on. I still need to be able to do my job and get out of there if something should happen. And I think that just goes with something a lot of women probably think about in their daily lives anyway. If you're going out to a bar or going to a party or something like that, um, knowing your limits so you can get home safely is unfortunately something that we have to think about a lot more often than men. And I think Kelsey mentioned something too that, yeah, sometimes it is more so coming from like the customers or the audience at that event. I definitely feel more so today than when I started in this role that there is more community and more um, safety from 
most of the buyers or managers or business owners out there. I do feel completely they're, safe with so, so many of them. They're definitely watching you. Yeah. Um, not, in a, not in a creepy way, but they're definitely watching, you know, to make sure you're okay. You know, I've had a manager come over before or I'll have, you know, another sales rep friend at the event or whatever. And they're definitely keeping an eye on you. I mean, I don't feel, you know, I haven't felt unsafe at an event in a very long time, but it definitely plays a factor. And I definitely think that we have to watch our limit so that we know how to diffuse the situation. Is the gender makeup at these events starting to even out or is it still male dominated? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first Columbus Microbrew Festival in 2006, I joked to my single friends, I was like, um, you should come to the Microbrew Festival this weekend because there's a lot of guys here. And then as the years progressed, it was definitely more of a balance. And now I'd say it's probably 50-50 at most of the events that we hold. And that kind of goes back to your marketing with beer labels, that beer labels are definitely being tailored just as much women, not only because they're buying it maybe for their significant other, but also because they drink just as much craft beer. And so I like flowers and bright colors. (laughs) I think a big piece of the marketing is not just the package the beer is in, but the person handing you that pint or that six pack or that sample at the beer festival. Oftentimes, if I have a badass, strong, empowered female bartender talking to me about their beer menu, I'm more excited to order beer than maybe I was more in the mood for wine that day. But, you know, the more strong, empowered, confident women we have serving, selling, marketing the beer, the more likely you're going to have for a woman to take their word for it and try it um, if if they weren't already thinking about that to begin with. To stick on the the marketing thing, we we certainly, I mean, we can all come up with uh, examples of what doesn't work and what's offensive. But on the sort of the other spectrum, can it go too far? Can it be too pandering? Or like, does that does that bother you if something is sort of overtly targeted at women, or is that fine? Or do you just want it to be like, hey, we like beer? Depends on the situation. Okay. I mean, we all get together every February, early March to do an International Women's Day beer with the pink boots all over the state. So there are dozens of beers released that are definitely directed towards mm-hmm. a female audience. And I, I go out and drink every one, right? Just like I drink the ales for ALS or anything else because it's supporting a cause I believe in. But is there anything in that beer that's inherently different? Maybe the marketing, but is there anything in the, the liquid itself that's different from a a male marketed beer? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Just I think the, that's the recipes the point. are usually formulated by women in the in our pink boots group. So we made a beer before I started at Brewdog called Pink IPA, mm-hmm. and it was Punk IPA in a pink can, yeah. and it I was. That. <laughs> it was I, a, I was thinking of this example. Yeah. Colossal <laughs> failure. Yeah. Um, um, and I only know it's a colossal failure because there still are shelves and shelves of the empty cans <laughs> sitting in the brewery <laughs> two years later. But but the point of it is that it was the same exact beer and, and no one needed the pink can. Now, I think where BrewDog was going with it is that part of the money was going to go to, I think, breast cancer um, research. And so that was why they wanted to do the special campaign. It, nothing was meant by it, but it, it was interesting to me to see how the um, industry reacted to it. I just don't like pink, so I, I own pink Ditto. boots. Ditto. I, I work, uh, you know, and I wear them when I'm on the on the brewery floor. But pink is not my color. But every February or March, I'm in there brewing the pink boots beer because that that I think it's more. I think people need to look past the pink and look mm-hmm. more as it's like it's the female, it's the it's symbol the of the female. Yeah, it's the camaraderie behind it, not necessarily the pink part. <laughs> And I don't remember where I read this, but sometime in the last couple of years, I read either like a survey or a poll or a statistic that women said they don't want to be marketed to, they want the environment to be more inclusive from the start so they don't have to feel excluded. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I try to think about when setting up events and things like that. Like we don't need to host a, I, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to give an example. Sure. <laughs> but you don't need to make the beer targeted at them, just make a better environment or a better product that they feel welcome joining. I didn't read that. I did hear that somewhere. That's yeah. like that's like oh shoot. And now it's gonna bother me. I'll figure it out where I heard it from. But that's the, the that's what the girl said. She's like, we don't want to be separate. We just want to be included from the very beginning. I have some good friends who work on the diversity of um, black 
um, people in the beer industry, and they say a slightly different thing. They actually say the opposite because they say a lot of um, people who they have talked to have been less interested in drinking a beer until they know it's for them, and the way they know it's for them is because they've seen black people making the beer. And so for them, having us in the industry would be the corollary, um, where the more women we have in the industry, the more obvious it is the beer is for women. And so um, I, I take... I. I really liked what you said. I think that it resonates for me, but I can see both ways that it could work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On the topic of getting more women into the industry, uh, have any, are any of you approached by more women about opportunities or with questions about it? And follow-up question, you know, how do you build that pipeline to get more women into this business? I get called for coffee every other month or so. Um, and it, it used to be mostly men, and now it's a, a mix of men and women. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm in the industry, but I'm sort of in through a side door. Mm-hmm. I, I work in a more nonprofit organizational management role. But, you know, I, I talk to them about how I got to where I am, and, but how I know that other women in the industry got there. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's encouraging. I do have several female friends who will talk to me about wanting to get into the industry. Obviously, it's because I'm in the industry and they see that as now an opportunity for them where they may not have before. I have one woman who reached out to me through the Pink Boots website. She saw, we have profiles, and so on my profile I said I was open to, you know, mentoring women and, um, you know, having those kinds of conversations, and she took me up on it. And um, so she went to school at UC Davis, finished the program, and then moved back to Ohio where her family is to try to find a job. And the most interesting question she asked me was, what should I wear to an interview? It is something that can be t- tricky because at an interview you're supposed to dress up a little bit. For a woman to dress up a little bit, right, a little more than what you should wear to the job itself. For a woman to dress up a little bit, well, you don't want to wear a dress because you don't want to make it clear that you don't know what the job is. And it, <laughs> it, it can be a really fine line. And um, she stumped me. It took me a minute to say, well, if you showed up wearing this, this would be perfect, which was basically a button down Carhartt shirt and Carhartt pants, but look clean, you know. That was the best. What would you guys answer for that? You, it's so funny because when as soon as you said that, I was like, what did I wear to my interview? Because I remember the first day I walked in, and if you ever walk into North High Brewing Production Facility, it's definitely a production facility. Like, no bells and whistles to it, like, workspace. And, the you know, the brewers wear sweatpants or Carhartts because it was cold outside. It was December, and I walked in. I think I had on, with like, a nice sweater and a pair, like, a, a not dress pants, but, like, a, I think they were a red pair of jeans, and like little little heels. But to your point, I walked in and I was like, everyone looks like they just rolled out of bed and came into work. I'm amused that we've developed the what were you wearing conversation. But, <laughs> but, it's, but, but, it's but to your point, it's, 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 it's true. It Absolutely. I, didn't, I didn't really think about it when I went in for my interview, but I think it just, I think I knew not to wear a dress or maybe it's because it was December. I was like, screw it, I'm wearing pants. I don't, I don't know. It's definitely a whole different level of of dressing as someone who came from a retail world where I was expected to be in heels and a skirt and a jacket every day as a retail manager. Like, oh, you're in jeans and a flannel? That's perfect. That's that's pretty much the dress code for now. And well, even when interviewing men for for a position and. If they come in wearing a suit and tie, we make fun of them because, (laughs) which probably isn't a great thing either. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, dressing for an interview at a brewery for anybody is probably a tricky thing. I think I didn't have to interview for my job, so (laughs) I don't, (laughs) I can't speak to that, but. Craft brewing, is it still in its infancy? Is it in its teen years at this point? What do you guys think of that? And, and as, it's, as it's evolving and diversity is still a question and, and a concern, where do you see this 10 years from now for women in the industry and as the industry as a whole? Yeah, I mean, there were 58 breweries in Ohio when I started, and I still, from that day to this day, still get the question of when is the bubble going to burst, right? That's the ubiquitous question of always. And as of yesterday, there were 324 breweries in Ohio, 43 of which opened this year, right? So it's hard to say that we're in the the teen years because I've still got 60-some breweries in planning. And and since I started, there seems to have been 60-some breweries in planning. And it's, I think it's still evolving. And I think with that evolution comes more diversity. 
we talk about the the long tail that um, of the what, eight thousand breweries that are yeah. now nationwide. The vast, vast majority of them are very small. So what I've seen as a, an evolution was most of the craft breweries or microbreweries back in the day were focused on packaging and focusing on growing and um, expanding their distribution footprint. And I think today um, the model is much more keep it small, keep it local, and, um, you know. Serve your local community and exactly. a tap room. I wanted to, to shift gears to, to something else that's, that's been touched on a, a few points here. And Mary, I know this is a conversation we have had, but you've all pretty much come from other industries. Is craft beer any worse, better than, say, restaurants, other industries you've been in? Or is this, as, as you talked about earlier, there's just, you know, as women, you're naturally attuned to, to like, being concerned about your, your, your safety or welfare or aware of your surroundings, things like that. Is craft beer any different from other industries, better or worse, in terms of the treatment of women? No. I literally just had this conversation with a friend of mine last week about how we, I think, have just been more vocal about it, and we've just been more in the spotlight. But, I mean, look at, you know, everyone in Hollywood that came out. Look at the gymnastics world. You know, if you dive deep enough into any trade, it's you're going to find it everywhere, especially if the, that trade has a sales component. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I worked in banking for almost three years, and I think I was just too young at the time when I worked there to understand, like, that there probably were situations that, because I was a female, I was placed in and maybe shouldn't have been. Um, but I think we're, we've just been more vocal about it, and it's just come more to light. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you dive deep enough into industry, that's the word I was looking for, industry. If you <laughs> dive deep enough into any industry, you're going to find it. Like, I don't think that it's, it's, I don't think that craft beer is in this box of, oh, it only happens in this industry. Right. I think because alcohol is involved, it might be a little more elevated. But I, I don't think that you're, you know, ask, an, ask any female she, you know, it's. I'm sure that she's been subject to something. Yeah, I I agree. I I feel like if unless you are working in an all female company that's owned by women and every you know, that's all women, you're gonna have issues. That's just the way it is. And I think in a lot of instances it's gotten better, but I think it's gotten better because women have spoken up more. And not necessarily because men have changed their attitudes. Um, craft beer is all about education. As we're educating the consumer, <laughs> the flavors, and there are different varieties and aromas, we as women are educating other people in the industry about what is and is not appropriate behavior. And I think with, with age and experience, that comes a lot more comfortably. Because we, you know, I, I'm known as the person who gets shit done. Sorry, you're gonna have to bleep that. <laughs> but uh, you know, is it aggressive or is it assertive? Well, and I think it just goes back to um, Tamar's point about you know we we let so much roll off our backs, and maybe there are points where there are women, you know, that work with us that see that and they're like, oh, I guess I just need to let it roll off. No, if it bothers you, you mm-hmm. need to say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had an interesting conversation with a woman the other day about um, she. You were, you were talking about the the, the nastiness that happened yeah, in Columbus, sure. and, and she worked for a company where she had some problems. And she asked, we were talking about being a woman in the industry, and she asked if she was overly sensitive to issues. And I said, you know, you bring your experience to the table, and I'm glad you do because, you know, a lot of the other people kind of experiences like me where everything's been, you know, pretty like good and and it's really important for us to talk about these things and all the guys on our team benefit from your experience and from your perspective as much as anybody else. Yeah, and I think when that article that we I think we were all referring to was the I guess the interviewing and writing stages, we had a whole community of us online and offline that were talking and supporting each other and to prepare for the release of that article and what that would mean for our like personal and professional reputations. As painful as it was to see so many of my friends go through that and then see that come out, I mean, it it, um, probably had a, a, I'm glad it happened, Um, but I can't help but hurt for all the women that did have those experiences. I think it opened a door to talk about those things a lot more. So I was 
not a victim mm -hmm. um, related to anything like that, but it made me think twice about certain interactions, certain conversations, things that I've seen or experienced myself where I'm like, oh, maybe I should have challenged that. Maybe I should have shared that with someone, um, and I hope that my female colleagues feel the same way. And I think the positive thing that came out of the article is it's enabled a lot of our male coworkers mm -hmm. to also be advocates as well and, mm -hmm. and speak up. And I've you know since then seen um, guys at beer festivals say, hey, dude, that's not cool. And that really helps. It goes a long way to legitimacy. Yeah. Do your companies either, you know, before uh, the, the actual incident or maybe since, do your companies have, you know, kind of a protocol in place to, if you were harassed at work, do you have a, a person you can report to? Do you, is there kind of a structure in place or have there been discussions about establishing kind of a protocol to, to deal with that if you, if something were to happen to you at work? Mine is probably the largest company, and we're very lean. So um, so for us, actually, it, we're lucky that there are a lot of women in management, so it makes it really clear and easy, and I think that it's very comfortable for someone to come to me, the head of um, retail in... Um, at Dog Tap at our um, at our facility at the brewery, also a woman. Our CEO is a woman, and our HR representative is a woman. So um, we've you know repeated to people that there are multiple avenues, and you could come to any of us, and we will escalate it and take care of an issue. We're a smaller company, mm -hmm. so I, I don't know if we have a written protocol, but I know that we have let at least one person that I know of go because of sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. I don't know the details. I don't know who it was. I just know that sure. it happened, which makes me feel really safe and just the relationships I have with my manager and our owners. I talked to them before that article was posted, like, hey, just so you know, this is going to hit the, the media this week. And I was given so much support and, like, a high five from my manager that, like, yes, like, thank you for being involved with this and thank you for speaking out about it. And no, I'm not trying to take credit. I was not interviewed for the yeah. article or anything, but, like, I knew it was happening. I wanted to share that internally. Um, and they were very, very supportive of like the women's side of things with that issue. I think, like Tamar said, we don't necessarily have, I mean, we, we try to make it as clear as possible mm -hmm. that if there is anything that these are the people you can come to. And we also, you know, there are two of us on the executive team who are female and we try to make it really clear that that avenue is open, but not necessarily anything formal. Mm -hmm. One of the things is I've, I've talked to people in the last year, I think uh, craft beer has the, the double thing of being it's alcohol. So as, as you said, that escalates it. But it's also still a lot of young, small businesses, and people haven't necessarily have the, they have the HR backbone that, that other industries maybe have. So I've heard it said that that's sometimes an issue as well. You just don't as know quite how to The OCDA, the Ohio Craft Brewers Association, as an organization, tries to provide tools for our members to be the best that they can. And so things we've offered since and has, have always been is, is employee handbook training and HR training and things like that at our conference. So we try to guide people to the, to the right directions and the right resources. Yeah, at the, at the OCBA conference last year, the talk on HR was fantastic. It gave us a lot of good advice. My husband's in the military, and so there's a video he has to watch every year, and there's a, a, a conversation he has to have with his boss every year, and he and I had some good conversations about it, and we both agree that um, if you treat it that way, you get numb to it, and it isn't taken as seriously as sort of a more organic, maybe informal policy of escalate if there's something, we will take you seriously. Yeah, and I think that's when I was talking about where craft beer is in its age. So many small companies starting with so few people. Is that something that comes after you start the company and, and sort of an afterthought of, okay, now we have all these people working here. We need to take care of them and make sure that the avenue of, of HR is, is approached. And it sounds like the education part of that is, is helping them get there. But is that something that they often don't think about when they're starting that company in such a young industry? Yes. I, I well, mean, you don't. Lot, Go ahead. A yeah. lot of these industries started as one or two people in a garage or a, a utilitarian space out in a you know park, industrial park somewhere, and then grew to a taproom person and and then you know an extra brewer. And so yeah, I, they grew fairly organically. Yeah. And so yes, I think some of their business practices grow organically as well. Yeah, I think that deep down you don't want to think that it's going to happen in your company. And so, I mean, we don't have a formal policy. I think it's more informal, but I think it's almost, I mean, 
I'm sure there's probably something written down somewhere, but I think it almost works out better that way because if you approach about approach it in in that manner, like you were saying, it's I think it's easier to have that conversation. I think it just goes back to what Jason said when I a couple years ago. He's like, I don't. He's like, call me, call whoever, just get out. Like, we're not going to be mad at you. And I think that's the key. So if you go in and you're like, okay, you know, tell me the whole story. And then we'll go from there. Something Tamar said triggered uh, something for me, which reminded me that we, so we did have a, an incident and we brought in someone to do etiquette training for everybody. And now that is part of our onboarding process mm-hmm. is like a little half hour thing on, on etiquette and harassment of, of any kind any kind of bullying or, or anything. But I do sort of worry that, like you said about your husband in the military and watching the video, like I sort of worry that that's sort of like, okay, we're just checking the box. Right. And is that really enough or is it even too much just to be able to say, well, they went through this half hour training. I, I don't know what the right answer is. I think I, I think it's a good idea, and I'm not saying don't do it. I think that more companies probably should do that. But to your point, I would sit there and I'd be like, "Well, I'm not going to do this, so I don't, you know, I'm just going to sit yeah. through this half but, hour." But it's and, also helpful if you have a, an employee handbook or written statement. I yep. received this materials. We had this discussion. Something happens eight months down the line, and you go back to when we hired you. Do you remember this conversation or this thing you had to read and this thing that you signed? So you were aware of our policies, right? So I do think it, it creates a, pa- a track of how to take care of it. And that's why we provide educational tools to <laughs> get more people to have policies in place and procedures. Because it, it does come as a, you know, it, it would come as a shock if it happened to you. To, and then to know who to go to, and then for that person to begin to know how to, how to address the situation, I think it's important. Mm-hmm, absolutely. What are areas that need improvement? I mean, we hired a diversity ambassador mm-hmm. at the Brewers Association two years ago, and I think that's a huge step. I remember having conversations at the Brewers Association at our annual meetings a couple of years before that, and there's, you, know, it's, you look around the room, it's a whole bunch of, sorry, bearded white guys to stereotype, and I think it's something that we look toward. Like, everyone in the industry has to look and see what they're doing to help improve it. On the diversity piece, I would definitely say we want to reach out to more women of color. Um, Right now, even look around this room, we're all white women. And um, I think that if we can, the more diverse we can be, the more um, opinions and ideas and backgrounds and perspectives we can bring to the table. And so that, to me, is the next frontier. I think with that, getting all employees on all levels on board with why diversity is valuable. I think I read a statistic once that said companies that have more diverse, like, I think it was about, like, international perspectives or something like that. It affects their bottom line times two. So, like, things like that to get everyone on board with it um, because... Again, going back to my past life, when there was someone that came in to do a diversity training, there's always going to be people that roll their eyes. So how can we get those people to not roll their eyes, but embrace it and actually use that day to day? All right. Thank you for joining us. And to those listening, thank you for listening. 